Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast brought to you by CamdenChat.com. It's June the 17th, 2012. The Orioles have just taken two out of three games from the Atlanta Braves. Two straight shutouts. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eatmore SK on Camden Chat. My podcasting partner in crime is Andrew Gibson. Andrew, recently famous with his front page, well, front MLB page article on ESPN.com. You can go read it if you're an insider. He talks about the defense in the no-hitters that have been pitched in Major League Baseball this year. Andrew, a little too famous for the podcast now, I know, but how you doing? Uh, pretty good. Moving on up, I guess. Yeah, moving on up to the west side. Everybody, everybody should be an insider because there's a lot of really good writers who write on the insider tag. They're really and good. I do not include myself in that. Kevin Goldstein's contributions on there. Keith Law, of course, is an insider. Uh, Kylie McDaniel, former Oriole front office member. Many, many great writers on there. Yeah. And plus, I guess they send you a magazine, which maybe you don't want, but uh, you get it anyway. There's some good things in there. There's some bad things, but there's some good things. Former Baltimore Sun writer Kevin Van Valkenburg writes for the magazine now. He's one of probably my favorite general sports writer. He's a a good guy. And I think if you start being a good guy who is also a very good writer, you can be a really, really good sports writer. And he is. He is really, really good. So So we are receiving no compensation for all this plugging, by the way. This is just stuff we like. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to the Orioles. Uh, They're still doing pretty awesome. And uh, we're still pretty shocked by it. Uh, I think we're generally stunned. And still not sure how to react, but starting to maybe slowly accept the reality that uh, the Orioles might actually be something approximating this good. And perhaps the most shocking thing, Andrew, is the performance of Jason Hamill. Because as we've been talking, basically nobody in any media anywhere, or Orioles fan or anybody, expected the Jeremy Guthrie for Jason Hamill and Matt Lindstrom trade to turn out like this, and it's especially worth noting after his one-hit complete game shutout, the first time the Orioles have done that since Mike Mussina in 2000, is what the Twitter told me. Pretty exciting stuff. What do you think is the biggest secret for Hamill suddenly being awesome? There was an article, going back to ESPN, of course, there was an article over the weekend written by Christina Carl that was talking about What's what's the difference for Jason Hamill? He was a non-tender candidate coming into the year who had lost his rotation spot in Colorado. And he was in Colorado in the first place because he was the eighth best pitcher the Rays had coming up with the David Price, James Shields, Scott Kazmier class. The most expendable. Right. And his last... Well, he made several bullpen uh, appearances towards the end of 2011 because just wasn't getting it done. Right. Total ERA on his season for last year was 4.76 in the NL West, no less. So, of course he was expendable for them, but all the stories have been, well, now he learns how to throw a two-seam fastball and suddenly that uh, adjusts his whole arsenal. Although today, right. wasn't it he was getting swings and misses on his four-seam fastball, which was not really something he did before. Or not today, so, Saturday. Uh, Christina Carl basically said it as he's 
turned himself into a power sinker slider pitcher, which is a great combination when you can throw it 94 miles an hour like he can. And he does, he gets a lot of swings and misses on this stuff. I noticed, I was looking into it this morning, on his four-seam fastball, he's getting twice as many swings and misses as he was last year, the year before, and the year before that. So this is like a totally new guy with his two-seamer and increased use of the slider. He dropped the changeup, and it's just, it's it's like the light clicked on for him, basically. And how weird is it that that finally happened for a player on the Orioles? Because usually it's like, oh, we give up on this guy, and suddenly he discovers how to play baseball. And here the Orioles have acquired the guy, went out of their way to acquire the guy, and he's finally put it all together, it seems. Leads the Orioles staff in innings pitched, even though he had his spots uh, a start skipped. His ERA is just great. I believe yesterday he went into that Saturday game like 30th in Major League Baseball in his in ERA, and after the shutout he was like 18th. I think they said on Masson today he's like sixth in the AL in ERA. Really, it's awesome. It's awesome he's on the Orioles and doing this, and really he's been a key to the unexpected success because well, who could have predicted Jason Hamill? Well, I think. When we get to the end of the year and we look back and we try to write the story of the 2012 Orioles, for better or worse, he's going to be a main character. The The decision to trade for him and the work he and pitching coach Rick Adair did to turn him into what he is now, which is a legitimate all-star pitcher, which is really bizarre. Um, yeah, because Stacy wrote the article on Camden Chat, which really summed up most of the site's feelings, which was Jeremy Guthrie traded for two players not likely to be any better than Jeremy Guthrie. Well, it's good to be wrong sometimes. And of right. course, we've talked on this podcast about what it's like. You're just going to be wrong. And sometimes it's really good to be wrong because, wow, he's just been very impressive. And, and then, then you look at what Jeremy Guthrie's done, and that's not at all the way you want to judge these things, but it, it looks like the Orioles rolled the dice and did it absolutely correctly. Yeah, sometimes you roll the dice and you don't get snake eyes and you get uh, <laughs> you get exactly what you wanted. I don't know, you put all your money on like a, a hard six and then that's exactly what you roll. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really up on the rules of, of dice myself, but... Well, I probably am not either, and there's many people now who are laughing at my ignorance about gambling. I just know there's a lot of ways to make a seven. Yes, there are. Um, but between Hamill and Wei Yin Chen, who pitched today... Seven, seven shutout innings for Chen, and the thing with Chen seems to be he's very good at scattering his hits, and he just gets these easy, soft fly balls... Like, even with Chris Davis out in right field for the third straight game today, and he got a number more chances today, there was never, there wasn't any drama even with him out there. It was just easy pop flies, and Davis shied over, caught with two hands, threw the ball in, and that's great. And that's, you know, that's what we get for 10, and that's great too, because, I mean, who was... Well, I don't know did if Dan Duquette really believed Chen would be this good, or if he was just, you know, 
signing any guy that wasn't you Darvish coming out of the Japanese league and hoping uh, one of them was okay. But he seems like he has stuff that will keep playing, even as he sees the league more. And Chen is doing awesome, too. It's uh, Again, it's like, wow, the Orioles just don't have this happen to them. But here they've got the unexpected yeah, right. great right. trade. They've got the totally unheralded signing. Like, I mean, Chen, it's not like it was big dollars on Chen. I believe it was like a three-year... $13 million contract with a fourth-year option? That's bargain-basement stuff, and he's been great. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool to see two pitchers who weren't anywhere near the organization last year, and these are the two guys now that are here, and you can really dream on the team's success because of these two guys. Yeah, wait, okay. Wait, they're Chen, pitching so well. Pat's contract says three years, $11.4 million. And there's a 2015 option for $4.75 million that can get tacked on top of that. That is astoundingly good price. That makes it sound like just nobody else was interested. Right. Which really, I don't understand how that can happen. How? I know exactly. he had some, some sort of knee issues or something. Uh, last year in the MPB that hurt his overall performance. But this is still a guy who was the ace of his team that went to the championship and, and uh, I guess, famously pitched against his now teammate, Siyoshi Wada. Yeah, they played against one another in game one of the Nippon Professional Baseball World Series, I believe, or championship, whatever they call it over there. It's just... Uh, I mean, how does this happen for the Orioles? I don't know. It's also a guy who, unlike most Japanese pitchers, is very young because he is not Japanese, for one thing. So he signed a contract with Chunichi that uh, let him come to the big leagues much, much earlier than, than most pitchers. Right, he's 26 and did not have to go through the infamous posting process. Uh, so that is different for him than a lot of the other players that are coming over from there. So good luck for the Orioles and Dan yeah. Duquette. You a know, very, maybe very there nice. was a method in all of his madness after all, or just well, a lot I mean, of luck came out of all of them. You know, it's like anything else. You have really good signings and you have some really bad signings if you want to focus on those. Um, it's never a black and white thing. And I was talking to my dad today because it was Father's Day, and we were talking about the O's, as as we are likely to do whenever I talk to my dad. And he was he was telling me that he feels like Andy McPhail's tenure has a really bad rap to it because the Orioles could not even win 70 games when he was around. But now you look at the team that's here now, and a lot of it, outside of Hamill and Chen is still his doing, uh, McPhail's doing, more than Dan Duquette's. Yeah, I definitely agree that his time looks a lot better now that suddenly the Orioles have taken a step forward, whereas we imagine this year, well, I imagine this year, obviously, I predicted they'd win 70 games, and uh, I still yeah, felt, I still felt like an optimistic <laughs> prediction that, that the start of the season was going to be, well, if they take a step forward, they'll win 75. And now... Obviously, we a couple podcasts ago, you, you guilted me into revising it up to 80. I'm not going to keep taking it up because that would be absurd just to change it, my mind every time. 
But uh, well, no, I mean, I, I, I still I, might I be wrong there. I think that's the wrong way to look at it, Mark. I mean, you're not changing your mind. You have more better information now. That's true. So you're you're adapting to to reality. Maybe I mean, maybe what I should say is now that the Orioles, after 66 games, are 12 games over to 500. It's easier to believe the win total floor or most likely outcome is rising. And well, Hamill and Chen, big part of that. Yeah, and and going back to the the Andy McPhail stuff, I mean, also a big part of it is Adam Jones who was an Andy McPhail project, and Chris Davis, somehow, who can do anything that Bill Reels ever ask of him. Yeah. You can put him in right field. You can put him in as a pitcher. You can make him a first baseman or a DH. And it's, it's, also a player know. I was completely wrong about, because also during training I basically said, well, he's the next Jake Fox or something, and... Yeah. Adam Jones, I was like, well, he's never even had an OPS over 800, and now here he's got nearly a thousand. And well, it, well, I do, I do think there's there's regression that's going to happen, especially with Jones. Oh, for sure, it'll come back, but but it, it's the same way with Hamill. Nobody expected him to be really any good because why would you? And with Chris Davis, why would you ever expect him to be any good? He had spent. A thousand at bats in the major leagues being terrible. Guys like that don't normally just turn it around all of a sudden. He had he had even come over to the Orioles and been terrible with them. Although he did have a hurt shoulder around the time he was acquired by the Orioles, and that was probably contributing. Which maybe that's mm-hmm. healthy. And hey, that's the difference between uh, 305 on base percentage with a 400 slugging. And uh, 347 on base percentage with 527 slugging. Yeah, and and <laughs> that's the difference between non-tender candidate and guy you want to keep around. Yeah, guy you keep for a few years till uh, you know keep him around. Yeah. 26 years old, Chris Davis. Another where another place where I've just been wrong, and it's good to be wrong. It is good to be wrong. That's about the Orioles this year. It's just. It's very good to be wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm. I wonder what the title of this podcast is going to be this episode. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> we've stumbled on it right now. It's good to be wrong. So one, one other way that I've been wrong, not necessarily in a good way, is a pitcher who's also in the Orioles rotation, and then he wasn't, but then he never missed a start, so he really was. Uh, Jake Arrieta, really a complete mystery to me. Obviously, I was famously on this podcast uh, and elsewhere predicting. Not necessarily a big, big season like you're talking about Jake Arrieta for Cy Young Award, but just Jake Arrieta stepping forward and being obviously a solid member of the pitching staff. And uh, instead, we're looking at Jake Arrieta with a 5.89 ERA after he's made 14 starts. And really hard to say what his problem is. He was demoted into the bullpen but never actually made a bullpen appearance because Brian Mattis bunted a ball off of his nose in interleague bunting practice. Really kind of a very Oriole thing to happen, although Mattis didn't miss a start either. He just got pushed back for two days. But anyway, Arietta came out when he wasn't expecting to start. And I was in the press box at Camden Yards for that game where Arietta ended up starting. And Ooh. before the game started, all the veteran reporters were going around asking one another, well, what do they think Jake is going to do tonight? And it seemed like 
their their collective opinion and really all of the number this of them was, articulated specifically. This was before he threw even one before pitch. Before he threw even one pitch. We're talking probably an hour before first pitch, maybe 30 minutes before first pitch. And they were just saying to one another, well, now that he didn't know he was going to be starting, he didn't have too much time to think about it, and he can just go out there and pitch. And that's that's why I think he'll do well tonight. And And that's just what several of the reporters in there said. You know, there were there were a number of people in there that you've heard of, like Brittany Giroli, and all the Sun guys were there. Dan Connolly, Eddie Encina, Peter Schmuck, Rock Kabatko was in there. Yeah, this this is the stuff that they were they were saying to one another. And well, it just seems like very convenient to think that. And I don't know. Certainly, some of Jake's problem is probably mental, but could it really just be as easy as well? Rick Dempsey needs to go tell him, Jake. Focus easy, all right? You got to focus easy. You got to focus easy and then play his Christmas CD and then maybe uh, then that'll, <laughs> be, that'll be the secret to his success. I don't know about that. And, of course, Jake had a great game against the worst offense in Major League Baseball. The Pittsburgh Pirates have just, as we talked about with Charlie Wilmoth on the last podcast, it's, it's astounding how bad their offense is. Well, tell that to the Cleveland Indians, who gave up a ton of runs to the Pirates this this weekend. So, what do they need to fix about Jake? I don't know. What can is it? He's starting again tomorrow, so clearly he wasn't re-demoted to the bullpen. Uh, it's not like there's anybody forcing him out exactly. Well, I think you know what I'm going to say. What are you going to um, say, Andrew? Well, <laughs> well, I wrote about Jake this week. Yes, Andrew for the did. site, I did. Yeah. Um, for one thing, it's kind of silly if you're of the mind to go down the path that, oh, he's fixed or, oh, he broke his streak. Like he's off the schneid. Like none of that makes any sense because these are all unfinished products. He's going to keep, keep going on. Right. One Um, game. One good game. Doesn't matter. Now he has the Mets and he could be terrific against the Mets. And it's still tomorrow night, or he could completely implode, and that's all just—it's—it's an ongoing thing. For the second thing, there's a ton of individual reasons uh, that he had a good game against the Pirates. It was the Pirates, as as you mentioned. Uh, He was starting on very short notice. You know, it's—it was just one game. Maybe he picked up something while he was uh, in between starts. Uh, I, I distinctly remember hearing that he spent like an evening talking to his father after his confidence sort of hit an all-time low. And then he came in the next day feeling a lot better about things. And um, none of this is to discount that side of the game. After all, as Yogi Berra famously said, 90% of baseball is half mental. And, well, yeah. I'm not going to argue with Yogi Berra. Right. And I, I know the, um, I guess, the the default cliched sabermetrician thing is to just totally discount all that stuff. And I don't want to do that. I don't think anybody who wants to be a serious uh, analyst of baseball wants to discount that stuff. But the problem that I see in a lot of these conversations is 
we've discounted all of the statistical stuff. And the statistical stuff says Jake Arrieta is a really good pitcher right now who's just having some bad luck with uh, runners getting on and all of them score. Yeah, it's worth noting Jake Arrieta is a pitcher who is fielding independent pitching, which is meant to judge how he's pitching without any regard to the defense behind him, is nearly two full runs below his ERA. A 589 ERA, a 397 FIP. Are you allowed uh, to say FIP? I don't know. I say FIP. FIP. If, I, I if that I makes me a real, like I'll deal FIP. with it. I don't, I don't like FIP. I like FIP. But that's not, I don't like saying these things out loud. How about that? It feels like as the domain of nerds, it should just be typed yeah. out on internet message boards. But here we are, I'm, nerds with a podcast, and uh, we, we have I'm to. I'm okay being a nerd, things. but I don't I don't like saying. Fib. But anyway, it to some extent, you have to wonder if Jake has been well unlucky. Although a number of his starts, he was exhibiting what I considered as Chris Tillman syndrome, because Chris Tillman last season was another pitcher who you would look at his fielding independent pitching and say, wow, he's really being unlucky. But the reason his fielding independent pitching is so much lower than his ERA is just because he's throwing these fat, hittable pitches out over the plate, and people mm-hmm. were knocking them around, and that was Chris Tillman's problem. And some t- some games this year, that's been Jake's problem as well, is just yes. lifeless pitches getting knocked out of the ballpark or line drives just spraying all over the field. And, you know, when you look at stuff like that, you can't say, well, he's having bad luck. But it's... Well, we've talked about this before, and I've written about this before. And we will he's... we will talk about it again oh, yeah. and write about oh, it yeah. again. Definitely. Uh, he's, I think, always going to struggle with his command. That's just the type of pitcher he is. He's got awesome stuff. I've, I'm not sure... I've ever seen pitches quite as nasty as some of the pitches he's been able to throw. When he drops uh, this off-speed pitches yeah, the in there, ball. and there was the one on the in the uh, in the Pittsburgh game. I sure hope this was Jake. Or I'm going to embarrass myself. Where the batter ducked out of the way. Oh, that might have been a relief pitcher. Now that I think about it, but it, whoever it was it was a beautiful pitch. Well, I hope you're sufficiently embarrassed. The batter ducked out <laughs> of the way for strike three. Um, I'll have to go. I I still have in my mind. On opening day against Justin Morneau, he put just the filthiest backdoor slider to strike him out in this is the seventh inning or the sixth inning, and it was just like that. That's not even fair. That pitch is totally unhittable. No chance. Zero percent no chance. chance. Right. Um. But the thing about that pitch in that specific game is it was unique, literally unique. Because he can't consistently execute in that way. And that's the struggle he, he's undergoing as he develops. Um, he's as much as the, the narrative in spring training was that he's the ace now. He's a confident dude who's got great stuff and he's healthy now for the first time. And it's time for him to, to soar, I guess. None of that's necessarily true because... He's still developing. We're all still developing, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're we're moving our way up in the podcasting world. Well, we like yeah. to, we like to tell ourselves and, and the writing so, world and 
you know, we're no different. Although, according to the age curve, I'm at I'm at my uh, I'm at my age peak right now, 28 years old, and it's it's uh, <laughs> got to be the best. Well, I think year the vlogging age curve. Yeah, vlogging age curve probably a little, a little different. different than the baseball yeah. player age curve. That's a very good point, but uh, you know. So, that's good because I'm only 26. The other, the other interesting thing about Jake, with the command being his problem, is his strikeout rate is his highest of his career, and his walk rate is his lowest by fairly impressive numbers, with over eight strikeouts per nine innings, where he never had more than seven. And walk and rate. That's a, that's a great foundation. Walk rate. He's got 24 walks in 81 innings, which is a 2.67 walks per nine, and. Both of his previous major league seasons, he was over four with his walk rate, and uh, that's you know that's good to bring that down. And it, so it's 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 kind of interesting, unfortunate for him that he's brought those numbers where they want to be, or more where they want to be, and his results in terms of ERA are so much worse. But I, I do think he has a very very good chance of I quote figuring it out unquote. And keeping him in the rotation because he had a good game in terms of runs allowed, if not in terms of or or uh, in terms of his peripherals, strikeouts, walks, line drives, surrendered, that sort of thing. Even hits, he gave up a ton of hits in the in the Pittsburgh game. Um, the dangerous thing for Jake was after that game where he got torched by the Phillies, he was giving quotes to the media like, "I just feel so lost right now," and that was pretty much why. And we we talked on the podcast like right before that. Well, we got to keep him in the rotation. But then once I heard that, I was like, well, you know, you can't just keep throwing him out there if he's saying stuff like that. You got to get him to figure it out. But maybe the brief demotion was enough. Talking to his dad and talking to Rick Adair and whoever else, who knows? I mean, who knows? And and again, he could go out and have a terrible game against the Mets, or he could have a really great game against the Mets. And I think the most important thing is he had at least a superficially great game against the Pirates and earned his way back into the regular rotation for the time being. And maybe that shakes some of this, these confidence issues. And certainly he has no reason not to be confident because his stuff is awesome and his numbers that he has the most control over this year are tremendous. So... We'll see. We'll see how it goes from here on out. Andrew, I looked at the play-by-play for that one strikeout I was talking about. I am I am embarrassed because Jake did not get a looking strikeout in that game among his strikeouts. But uh, Pedro Strope uh-huh. Pedro Strope threw that one in the ninth inning, and somehow that blended into Jake's uh, outing. Pedro Strope's pretty great too. It was so it was absurd. It if you saw yeah. this, you probably laughed that I forgot. But I was very. Um, at that moment, focused on, okay, what am I going to write about this game so I can leave the ball? <laughs> uh, which I guess is a normal normal writer thing if you're in the press box at the ballpark. But he had the... You blended right Michael, Michael McHenry, the Pittsburgh backup catcher, or maybe he was not the backup catcher, but he, he ducked out of the way of a pitch. That I'm pretty sure he's the backup pitcher. And... He got rung up, and I've never seen that. And even the the veteran writer guys were like, "Whoa, you don't see that one every day," which they were also very impressed by. Chris Davis's broken bat home run, by the way, that one got them chattering. He is strong, strong like bull, an absurdly strong dude, and you really don't even appreciate it until you see him do something like that. Yeah, you see those broken bat home runs. Every so often, probably like once or twice a year. I seem to remember it's, it happened to the Orioles where they were on the wrong end of it with that guy, yeah. Mark Teixeira. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And and the guys who do it are all just the strongest guys you could you could think of. Uh, so. so that's that's Jake. Well, it wasn't Jake, but somehow Jake made me think of that. And the rest of the rotation, well, Brian Mattis, we've talked a lot about, and we'll talk more. Again, yeah. that's an ongoing story. Don't, I mean, don't really have any new... Excitement. If you want to make a definitive statement about any of these guys, you're going to be wrong, basically. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, well, we're going to be wrong sometimes, but not what we know at that exact moment. There's no way we can make a definitive or even remotely definitive statement about it. And then the fifth spot, I don't know, maybe someday it'll be Jack Britton. Uh, he's not on the disabled list anymore, but he's in Norfolk, and in his last game he gave up five earned runs and five innings pitched. So mm. it's not like he's lighting up AAA. Although, yeah. again, we don't want to judge one game and hold it against him. Especially since I didn't watch the video, I don't know if he got... Well, the reports against. are that his fastball command is not, is not right, and... Because he had a shoulder injury in his pitching shoulder and underwent the PRP treatment, um, which is injecting basically uh, healing agents from his own blood into Spinning his shoulder. it around on the centrifuge first. Is right, right? Yeah. To, to isolate the platelets, basically. Um, it, if his command isn't there, that doesn't completely surprised me, I guess. And I, I know nothing about how shoulder injuries and recovery from them is supposed to work. But uh, I think the first step with him is make sure he's okay. He's been pitching. Make sure he feels good. And then worry about the command, especially of pitches like the fastball, where, especially with Zach Britton, that's the bread and butter, the, the sinker. Um, and coming off of those sorts of shoulder problems, command issues. I think he just needs more time to to heal and, and figure it back out. So the upshot of all of that, Andrew, is you and I need to prepare ourselves, and the listeners need to prepare themselves for Tuesday when the pitching matchup is going to be Tommy Hunter versus Johan Santana. Yeah. Um... Well, hmm, there's little doubt in my mind that the Orioles are better than the Mets. And that may not be true with that pitching matchup. And and tomorrow, or Monday, uh, you'll be listening to this on Monday, is Jake Arrieta, the inconsistent one, versus R.A. Dickey, who's really probably the most amazing story in baseball this year. Tremendous. Really, the only thing that sort of vaguely upshattered him, outshattered him for a moment, was the Matt Cain perfect game. But I mean, R. A. Dickey, wow. Well, we'll get we'll get more on him a little bit later. Some other things we want to talk about before we get to the Mets. After having just played the Braves, it's interesting to remember there was the trade talks, potential uh, yes. trade talks uh, yes. between the Orioles and the Braves in the off season, which. Uh, the, the final version of them we heard seemed to be that the Braves were offering uh, Martin Prado, and I have no idea how to say this guy's name. It'll probably be wrong, but Jer Jurgens, maybe it's higher Jurgens, I don't know. JJ, but not either of the Orioles' JJs. And that was for Adam Jones, those two guys. And Plus. Orioles fans were like, well, no way. And Braves fans were like, no way, we're giving up those <laughs> two guys for Adam Jones. Is, is really my memory of that. And uh, 
Well, the Orioles fans were right not to want those guys so far in trade for Adam Jones, and Braves guys were wrong on that one, Braves fans anyway. But there were other pitching prospects the Orioles asked about. As I recall, we saw mm-hmm. two of them in the last series that just transpired. I think uh, both Delgado and Beachy were brought up in those talks, and Beachy now with elbow problems, and, well, Delgado looked good today, but... I still think we would rather have Adam Jones, and I didn't see that coming. I kind of wanted them to trade Jones in the off season, and well, I'm wrong, and it's okay. It's okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't care for that specific package because uh, Jurgens right now he's coming up to fill in for Beachy uh, since Beachy has landed on the disabled list. But uh, Jurgens was pitching in AAA and looking really just. Not right. The velocity's there. The results just aren't there. Jurgens has made nine starts in AAA for the Gwinnett Braves, and he's got a 5.27 ERA. Yeah, for example. So, um, Prado's a good player. I like Prado a lot. Um, he's not Adam Jones. Uh, the the real trick to it was what pitching prospects were being talked about and as i remember and you can correct me if i'm wrong mark uh i think the braves offered one of like minor mike minor brandon beachy randall delgado julio tejeran there was uh Errolis viscaino and maybe one other guy and then i think the orioles countered with two of those guys or maybe like a tommy hansen so really, and, that trade was never going to happen. Yeah, and, right. I mean, the Orioles were asking for a lot. The Braves were... And the I Orioles think, should have been asking for a lot. It was out yeah, of Yeah, of course, so. of course. The Braves are extremely pitching rich in their minors, uh, going back to, to last winter, because Tehran is one of the best prospects in baseball. Vizcaino, who I think he had Tommy John this year, he's one of the best prospects in baseball. Delgado is one of the best prospects in baseball. Beachy right now is the NL ERA leader. He's the major league baseball year. ERA leader, or he was yesterday, oh, well, unless somebody go. passed him today. His uh, he's he has an exactly a 2.00 ERA, and at least when I looked yesterday, that was the best. And uh, um, maybe some he wasn't he wasn't as heralded as these other guys. Uh, Mike Miner was a, a pretty good prospect when he was coming up. So that, that's a lot of guys, but. You know, as as the Oriole fans out there have learned, your pitching prospect depth can quickly evaporate into nothing. Right. We're not we're not going to say the phrase that Andrew wouldn't let me say last time. But uh, <laughs> don't say it. Sometimes when you think you have a lot of pitching depth, you really don't. You really you really do you not. You just don't know what's going to happen. You right. don't know why it's going to happen. And right and now. The Braves maybe are going to be the next cautionary tale about that. Hopefully not the Orioles anymore. Because, well, the other thing we might have to prepare ourselves for, Andrew, is uh, Jamie Moyer on the Orioles or something similar. I'm ready. I'm totally ready for that. <laughs> That's not true. I am I'm so totally unprepared to watch Jamie Moyer come up here and not be any good. Because he's, me... he's getting not terrible results in, like, Two Norfolk starts. Yeah, he's a little old for that league. Little old for the league. I think. I think. Little old for a lot of things. Um, yeah, he has a 1.50 ERA through his two starts, through I think 12 innings across both, and uh, 
Well, it would have been nice to have like Tehran down there, or, or maybe Vizcaino uh, down there. But uh, it's hard to argue with having Adam Jones up in Baltimore, leading the team into into respectability. Yeah, I was in you. disbelief yeah. that uh, he was named the most valuable Oriole last year, for instance, and this year. Well, no contest yeah, right year, now. I mean, they were a year early on that back. instead of like right. you're a year late giving somebody a gold glove, but uh, they, they were a year early on that one. So I don't know. Maybe, no, they didn't know what was coming. But it's well, nice. a gold glove. I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. But... It, maybe, uh, yeah, well, fielding Bible, whatever. No. No. Okay. So anyway, the Mets are coming up next. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series as the Orioles will be looking to win their fifth consecutive series, which they have not yet done this year. They've won four twice, including now. And April and 26th, I think, through May the 7th, they won four straight series. Even if they don't do it uh, against the Mets, they have a lot of good opportunities. We were talking before we started. Next AL East game for the Orioles is July the 24th. Right. There's over a month from right now, right this second, where the Orioles will not play against the American League East. So if if the Orioles are going to be uh, in any sort of postseason hunt. <laughs> Careful, Andrew, don't scare it away. If don't scare if, if um this next month is going to be critical to that effort, especially against some of these National League teams. I I said earlier, there's no doubt in my mind that the Orioles are better than the Mets. But with these pitching matchups, maybe not. Yeah, huh? so so Arietta versus R.A. Dickey, and I just, I feel like the Orioles hitters versus the lone knuckleballer in baseball who none of them have probably ever seen. I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't think did it when even he was in happens. Arizona. On the other hand, a hacktastic team like the Orioles might luck into some contact against the knuckleball. Who really knows? But uh, that's that's not an unfair, not a not a favorable matchup for the Orioles. Well, no, because Dickey's great. Dickey is one of the most consistent starting pitchers in baseball right now. Uh, There's even been talk this past week after he threw a very near no-hitter for the Mets. Uh, Mets fans are getting greedy with their no-hitters now. Yeah. (laughs) Right, they they protested to Major League Baseball to try to get the one hit turned to an error so it would retroactively become a no-hitter. You can't do that. Get out of here. No, that's never going to work. But it was not a good play that David Wright put on that ball. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dickey's great. And uh, great pitchers are always going to be tough for any team. Um, the Orioles, it's... it's Dickey uh, has Jake nine Aria, strikeouts, uh, and he's thrown 90 innings pitched. Yep. And yep. the Orioles still lead the world in strikeouts unless they got passed today, which I don't anticipate occurred what's really difficult for me personally is i have said many times on my twitter account if not on the comments on camden chat you can follow andrew at gibson right well we'll get there we'll get there there. it's true there's nothing i enjoy more in baseball than watching a hitter strike out swinging on a knuckleball and watching ari dickey's been been just tremendously entertaining for me this year. And, uh, I mean, obviously, I don't. I want him to strike out zero guys and give up 20 home runs. But, boy, that's, that's tough. It's tough to 
to re uh, reconcile these things in my mind. I don't know. I have never really sat down and watched Dickie pitch, so I am sure I will be in for a treat as a baseball fan tomorrow, if not necessarily as an Orioles fan, because I really just don't watch a lot of baseball games that aren't either the playoffs or the Orioles. The the good news with with this and with the Tommy Hunter Johan Santana matchup that just screams unfair. Uh, the Mets are extremely flawed, even with those two pitchers on the mound because their bullpen for one is I'm not sure if it's the worst in baseball or amongst the worst in baseball. The Mets bullpen is the worst in baseball. They have a 5.46 ERA going into today's game and that might have gone down a little bit today but it, they were over they were nearly a full run worse than the second worst team. So I feel pretty confident in saying at this moment they're still the worst and the Orioles are the best bullpen in baseball. And that could end up being an interesting factor in the game because the Orioles' bullpen ERA is nearly three full runs lower, which is <coughs> just absurd. It's more than three full runs lower because the <laughs> Orioles had a 238 bullpen ERA going into today where they, of course, had two shutout innings from the bullpen. And the Mets are 5.46 in their bullpen. And the Orioles have four relief pitchers who you can pretty much count on so far this year to just come in and get the job done. And that's Jim Johnson, Pedro Strope, Darren O'Day, who's been really, really uh, sort of undercredited, I think. Reviving the tradition of the random successful Orioles sidearm reliever, because it was just, there wasn't even really one for the last several years. And one before that was Chad Bradford, uh, who, eh. Well, Chad, the difference with Darren O'Day and Chad Bradford, of course, is the price tag. And uh, all the credit in the world to the Orioles front office for finding this random side armor. Who right, Darren O'Day, waiver clean price. So what is that, $20,000? And yeah. then plus, I guess he's making vaguely more than the Major League minimum this year. Big difference than uh, making that be one of your three marquee free agent signings and talking about shoring up the bullpen. Um, and, and the fourth guy being, of course, Luis Ayala. Who, uh, somehow. Somehow. Because he gives up every inherited run, but doesn't allow very many of himself, which I guess isn't awful, but it could be better. But then you look at the Mets. The Mets bullpen is like Frank Francisco's the closer with a plus five ERA. And you have Bobby Parnell, who can really dial it up there. He can throw 100 miles an hour, but, you know. Tim Burdak is Can't put it. it together, right? Right? Old friend, Tim Burdak. It looks like he's getting used as a loogie, maybe, because he's got uh, 37 games, but only 18.2 innings pitched. Yeah. Well, um, he's getting good use as a, as a loogie because he has 22 strikeouts in those 18.2 innings. So if he's coming in for one to two guys and leaving... Well, he's uh, getting the job done, sort of, other than a 3.38 ERA, which isn't actually great at all. And then uh, John Roush, who's extremely tall, and that's all I really care to mention about John Roush. And, uh, yeah, all these guys, you look at their numbers, um, all of them are giving up more than a hit per inning pitched. Lots, Every single one of them. Lots of bad results in that Mets bullpen. The lowest ERA from any guy with significant innings is, in fact, Tim Burdak's 3.38. Nobody is below that. 
So you expect maybe a little regression up for the Mets and down for the Orioles, but the bullpens in this series, uh, that's that's like a key to the series. You want to talk about uh, keys to, to winning or losing. I think uh, getting the, the starting pitchers out of there and trying to dial it up against some of these relievers is going to be critical. Well, we all know the Orioles are great at working counts yeah. and chasing starters early. Oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. But, well, actually, I don't even really have a but there because... Uh, well, who's the third uh, The The third starter for the Mets is Dylan G. And for the Orioles on Wednesday, it is going to be uh, Brian Mattis. So... Well... Well, get that yeah. get that one maybe and then maybe fluke into winning one of the other ones and then you're talking five straight series wins and that would be okay. Hey, I mean anything can happen. We've seen a lot of anything can happen type things that the Orioles happen. have won this year in fact. So Tommy so, Hunter could throw a no hitter. He could. It could happen. He that could, is totally a thing that He could, could throw like 27 straight fly balls to Adam Jones that are just easily caught, and it's just not the Mets' night. It could happen. I, I really think we're starting to overvalue Adam Jones' defense there. Well, I just picked a random Orioles outfielder. Oh, sure. Well, he he's the get, only he, one who's not on the disabled list. He could, he could induce 27 straight pop-ups to Brian Roberts. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Or ground- That's what I want to see happen. Yeah. No strikeouts or anything, just Lots of pop-ups. pop-ups. That'd be okay. I'd, yeah. I could live with that. So another factor that might hurt the Mets in this series is their, if you look at their UZR or whatever uh, on fan graphs, they have the second worst as far as negative runs this season because they've given back about 25 runs with their play on defense which is amazing because the season's not even half over. And by comparison, the Orioles had one of the worst last year with like negative 40, but that was over a full 162-game season, whereas the Mets are on pace for something far, far worse. So what's killing the Mets, basically, if you look at the individual numbers, is like their outfielders because they have Lucas Duda, who's got negative 10.6 runs just himself, and then Daniel Murphy, who's negative 8.1 runs just himself. So maybe hit the ball into the outfield at those guys, and uh, maybe they don't have range, or maybe they can't catch baseballs or throw baseballs. I don't know. Maybe all three. That'd be okay. So get the ball into outfield and see what happens. Could be a viable strategy. I don't know. It's like one of those games the Orioles beat the Yankees, and it was just like, well, keep hitting it to Eduardo Nunez in left field, and eventually something will happen, as, now, as indeed it did. I have... I guess a question for you. This is something I've been thinking about with UZR numbers in, in particular. Uh, the Mets are, their specific one on fan graphs right now is negative 24.3, which is really, really bad. But I guess, like, and, and answer totally honestly, but, like, what does that mean to you exactly? I don't know, Andrew. It's It's a fair question to ask because... You know, they don't get a lot of credit among the teams, for instance. I think I saw the uh, Cleveland Indians guy Shapiro say in the offseason that it, all the publicly available defensive metrics aren't worth anything. But it just seems like the closest vaguely acceptable thing to graft onto, if only because it's what they list on fan graphs. If, for instance, sure. they listed your 
your company's uh, plus minus uh, DRS on there. That's that's they, what I would use. They they totally do. They do, but, but it's not when I click on the major league team stats and it's just on there on the uh, on the, all the batting columns. On Fangraphs, the Mets have a minus twenty-two defensive runs saved, which is, which is very close fun. to that. But but that that's not quite what I meant when I, when I asked you what that means. But like, think about like batting average. If somebody's hitting three hundred, you know what that means. When uh when a guy gets a hit, you know pretty much how that helps his batting average. Sure. You you can do that calculation on here. Yeah, I'm gonna guess even if you had the UZR calculation in front of you and all of the data that which um, I certainly do not. Yeah, you have to pay that. pay some money for that. Um, on Fangraphs, by the way, in case anybody doesn't know, uh, UZR is a formula that was derived by a guy named Mitchell Lichtman, who he's he's a good guy. Um, he's kind of he's just a retired mathematician. Um, and they feed all of Baseball Info Solutions batted ball data into UZR to get the UZR score. And then defensive runs saved is just a different formula using the exact same set of data. So the fact that like the Mets, UZR and, and DRS is close is not super surprising. Um, but if a guy makes a play or doesn't make a play, like... Uh, Ground ball just goes past uh, Steve Tollison playing in third. Past a diving Jeter, if you will. Sure, but you don't know how that affects the UZR numbers exactly. You know it goes down somehow but in, in some magnitude, right? Yes. But I guess like there's sort of like a black box there that you're not seeing the the magic. In the same way that like batting average or on-base percentage or really any offensive statistic, something happens, it's a concrete thing, and you see what comes out. Right, and, and you can divide one number by the other number, and then that's your, that's your answer, and you know. Right. I guess the point I'm making is I feel like there's a lot of um, folks who are very uh, not unwilling that's not the right word, but it's the only word that comes to mind. But, uh, unable, maybe, to really accept advan advanced defensive metrics because of that black box. Um, you don't you you see the plays, and a guy makes a play, the number goes up. A guy doesn't make the play, the number goes down. But the different magnitudes and weights and things. Um, I don't know. I, I guess for me, Andrew, is it's just certain things in life you can accept. You don't really know how they work, and you just accept their function. Like, I couldn't really tell you how my refrigerator works, <laughs> but I know that if I take my food out of it, it will have been kept cold and will have not generally gotten, you know, germs or any kind of bacteria breeding that will then cause me illness. And UZR... It's not perfect, but I can accept it's enough that I can look at it. And really the way I try and use those things, and I look at, say, wins above replacement the same, is not exact, but there's within even within the margin for error, you can kind of stratify into different groups so that the Mets, for instance, at minus 25 runs, we can probably say, well, they maybe don't have specifically the second worst defense. 
but we can probably say they don't have a good defense, and we can probably also say they have a below-average to bad defense. And that's what I kind of look at with that kind of stuff. And if it's so wrong that the negative 25.3 or whatever runs that shows up on the ultimate zone rating should actually be, you know, plus 12, then if I found that out, I would stop looking at it like that. But for now, I feel like, well, it gets you in the ballpark enough to kind of talk about it. And that's what I try and do with that kind of thing, even if I can't plug in the, the number myself, like batting average, and get an easy answer. Well, I think that's a pretty good way to go about it. I just, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't you and aren't me um, uh, who, that's, who that's look at it me. and say, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely I, an I abstract it. concept, and I can see why people are... Uh, reluctant to kind of embrace, especially uh, really abstract stats like like that one. And you know, if they're not, that's fine. But uh, for people who are more open to thinking about it that way, then I try and present my perspective, and maybe I have some value to that, or maybe I'm the biggest idiot in the world. Also, possibility. I don't know. My uh, oh well, I mean, you'd have to get past me first. My value so. of a replacement <laughs> podcaster. I'm really not sure where I rank on there. So. Well, we're getting, uh, we're getting. It's coming from a guy who gets to sit in the press box. Wow, I've done it twice. It's not like For I'm now. in there every night. Although I will be in there again on Saturday, the 23rd, on the mat. So that'll be three times uh, before you. So we're getting towards the end of our, not really our allotted time, but the time we try and fit within. So do we have any final thoughts about the Orioles at this moment in history, time, whatever? Mm, gosh. I guess I should have warmed you up for that one before. Oof. I wasn't ready. Uh, uh, you go first. You go first. See, I wasn't ready either, so now we've reached a total disaster uh, scenario. Now, uh, I, guess, I guess what I would like to talk about is uh, something I saw in the last week, which was really stupid, which was a brief Ken Rosenthal rumor that the Orioles... Well, a rival executive wondered if the Orioles would trade Brian Mattis for a more established starter, which... I was just so astounded by this. It wasn't like he wrote a whole article about it. It was like a throwaway sentence in his rumor column. And I just cannot imagine that sentence being written about, say, the Yankees, where Ken Rosenthal might write, well, a rival executive wonders if the Yankees might trade Phil Hughes for an established heart, uh, starter. No, because everybody knows that would be stupid. And the Yankees are not stupid, even when they do things that are... In the long run, maybe not as good. They have, a, they have a plan in the short term. And the Yankees wouldn't do that. That would be stupid. Nobody would even write that about the Yankees. So why would they write that about the Orioles? I don't know. I guess that's my, that's my Baltimore indignation moment because it just seems like it was the sense that was just thrown in there like, ha ha, look at the Orioles. They're so dumb. They might actually do this. And it wasn't even sourced to anybody in the Orioles organization. It was a rival executive, not named. Who knows what executive means? Wondered. What team were they with? He wondered. It's not even like he offered a trade or said anything specific. It was just wondering. I wonder these things all the time. Nobody ever. Right, nobody's asked quoting me. you in, right. in Ken Rosenthal column, <laughs> and it would be cool if they did. But I mean, just you know, have a, have a shred more standards than that. I know you got to fill the column space, but just a rival executive wonders is not worth launching even a throwaway sentence. Sorry, that's that's my rant for them. You don't need to apologize. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That right there. 
So that was my tangentially final thought related to the Orioles, uh, I guess. This, uh, I guess my final thought, because I really, I got nothing else. Um, this will be something we, we definitely will touch on going in, in a couple weeks. Um, with the trade deadline looming, the, the Orioles are going to make some move, and they're going to be buyers. Which we have is to confront that. Yeah. New, new bra- a brave new world. Might actually be. All right, good book, by the way. And uh, um, yeah, how are we going to handle it? I don't know how I'm going to handle it, Andrew. I don't know how the yeah. Orioles are going to handle it because well, right, and that's going to be what do they have to, to 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 sell to get things? I um, I don't know. Maybe I you know I wonder if maybe they'll trade Brian Mattis for a more established pitcher. Yeah, we'll get a get Tim Lincecum for him and. That, well, that might not be the, the wisest buy right See, now. See, I picked him specifically because Tim Lincecum is doing bad. Uh, that was not me being stupid. I was being facetious. But, you know, maybe that rival but executive thinks that's what it, the Orioles... It actually will be very, very interesting because uh, there's a, there's going to be some teams that are sell- distinctly selling. Matt Garza is going to be out there. Uh, Ryan Dempster is going to be out there. He's been the subject of a lot of trade rumors. And the Orioles are really under-equipped to to deal for any of these guys. There's no surplus anywhere. It's like totally lean. They're um, succeeding, but there's no guy you can point at and say, well, here's an excess guy we can trade for this other thing that we need. I mean, I I've thought... I can't see it. Sort of vaguely that, like, Jonathan Scope and Chris Tillman may not be around in a couple months, but, I mean, who the heck knows? Who's out on the market to... To dangle for the these guys for I don't even know and if it is if it's like a three month rental I, that doesn't seem like Dan Duquette would do that even if the Orioles are winning and I don't um, know I, I, I definitely don't think a guy like Dylan Bundy is going anywhere or Manny Machado no. but there's other I, I sure there's, there's other names that might get dangled just so you can throw any random other prospect name out there like a you know a Parker Bridwell down there or, like you said Jonathan Scope or you know Whatever. Who knows? What it, it, in, in case you out there want to do some uh, some rosterbation, uh, one of my favorite terms, and it is fun. It's it's fun to be able to sort of dream on like, oh, who are the like are the Orioles going to be in on like Cole Hamels or someone like that? Wow, that's new. That's fun. Yeah, um, that is fun. Yeah, so go for it out there. But uh, uh, what, what was I going to say? Shoot. Totally lost my train. Oh, yes. Uh, if, if you're out there uh, doing this, the new draft class, including Kevin Gaussman and uh, like Christian Walker and uh, Brandon Klein, those guys can't be traded this year. Right. So, they can only be a player to be named later, after a year after they sign, which really... Right. Not, and not, I don't... None of those guys are getting traded no. this year. So... Uh, those guys will be around as long as they sign, but the uh, Sebastian Vaders of the world might be gone. You know, Andrew, somebody was talking <laughs> about him within the last week and he's, mentioned he's him as starting. a pitcher, and I was like, somehow in my memory, I had thought he was a catcher, and I was like, wait a minute, Sebastian Vader is a pitcher, so clearly, I guess I need to look at the minor leagues uh, more. Or he's the opening possibly. day starter for the Ironbirds in Hudson Valley. Is that in your neck of the woods then? No. Oh, okay. But if you're out there, go see Sebastian Vader and the Ironbirds. That'd be fun. 
because he will find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> oh, I finally made a Star Wars joke on this podcast. That's like the first one. Okay. Oh, you got there. Yeah, I know. Sebastian Vader's a gimme, though. I can't even count that. Oh, boy. Okay. I can't wait till he comes up and has to go up against Luke Scott. I know. It would have been interesting if he was on the same team as Luke Scott, I guess. But uh, Okay, now that we're digging Star Wars jokes out of the hat, that probably means... Yeah, it's time to go. I, it is time to go before I further embarrass myself. So, you should follow us on Twitter. Well, if you want to, you, you can. I don't want to say... You should, though. It, I think you will be entertained and possibly enlightened if you do so so you can follow me i am at eat more sk e-s-s-k-a-y like the hot dogs and andrew real, real meat yeah well maybe not but uh andrew is at gibson andrew and we occasionally banter with one another you can also follow camden chat at camden chat and you will see all of our auto links to articles so you can also like camden chat on facebook because I recently was made an admin, and I'm trying to do more with it. So, oh really? Go ahead and do that if you would like. And if you don't, that's oh, cool too. But uh, keep listening to this podcast, which, by the way, you can subscribe to on iTunes, so that you can get automatic updates, and it'll make your life maybe marginally better. That's our that's our spiel for tonight. And Andrew and I, I think we've run out of Orioles topics for the next week, but we will be back for you next Monday. So. Listen then. For now, I'm Mark Brown. I'm here with Andrew Gibson. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.